When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big this summer with great deals, all in the Kroger app. Get red, green, or black juicy seedless grapes for $1.88 per pound with your card and a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free delicious 12-packs of Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's film study. We're going to look back at week four. The Ravens, really tough loss at home to the Browns. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I don't know how you're saying life's good. You've watched this game way more than anyone else. I mean, it's hard to come out of life good after that performance. It's part of the healing process. Get analytic with it and take it into the laboratory and accept it. Okay. All right, so now you're at the point that you're just laughing about how bad it was. I see where you're at. <laughs> not not quite there yet. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to bring on a guest, as always. And the guest this week to help us break down this game is Aaron. Aaron is the Baltimore Ravens beat reporter for Penn Live. Aaron, how you doing? I'm great, guys. I'm doing doing very well. How about you two? Doing all right. I mean, as, I, as <laughs> well as we can after that game. Yeah. No one expected Sunday to go quite that way. So I'm going to hand it over to you two and really let you dig into this game. All right, Aaron, fantastic. Uh, nice to meet you. You've been covering the Ravens for the last couple of years, the Eagles for a couple of years before that. Straight out of school before that? Correct. Yeah, I did uh, I, I did some high school coverage for the Washington Post for a little bit and then um, got, got with Penn Lab after that. Um, so, pretty, yeah, I went to the University of Maryland. So, pretty much um, pretty quickly after school, um, jumped into the NFL. Baltimore area guy, D.C. area guy, where did you yeah, grow up? I grew up outside of D.C., Rockville, Maryland. Um, gotcha. But, you know, definitely an Orioles fan growing up. And I watched football. I don't know if I identified with the team quite as much, uh, mostly because the Redskins were difficult to root for. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we have a lot to talk about uh, uh, Absolutely. This, this week, certainly after that that horrible loss. I want to start with a with kind of an interesting thing we heard about before the game, which was the switching of the green dot. And I do want to get into some packages and some things later, but the green dot, I think, is the most significant storyline from this game. So Owasso had been the signal caller since the beginning of the year, and no longer, I guess the coaches no longer felt like he could handle the complication of it and still do his own job. At least that was the 
thought that was presented to outsiders. I think there's more to it than that. But what do you think about the move? Yeah, I think that's the first reaction. That's the natural first reaction is that Pina is doing a lot. And maybe he's not a natural guy for that role. He's he's kind of naturally quiet. Um, we didn't really get a chance to drill down on that uh, in terms of reporters talking to the players. Um, and John Harbaugh did even mention today, this kind of simplifies things for Peanut. Um, the other I- issue is uh, whether or not the Ravens plan to have uh, Owasu play 100% of the snaps. So by giving that green dot to Jefferson, if you plan to play him 100% of the snaps, you can get a little bit more creative with how you rotate those inside linebackers. And I think we kind of took for granted that that Peanut was going to be an every down player when he never was in his first three years. And I don't know if he, he – I, I think they uh, are considering at least doing some more experimentation, whether that's with LJ Fort coming in, whether he's in the mix, whether it's Deshaun Elliott or whatever it is. Uh, this gives them the flexibility if they think Jefferson's going to stay 100% on the field 100% of the time. So I, I think there's lots of variables. But, yeah, the, the number one thing seems to be just simplify, simplify things for Peanut. Okay, and I think it's about, about the number two or three thing. I, I'd say the ability to substitute at middle linebacker is really the key there. And you, you've you've hit on it and hit on a lot of the points that, that I would make in this conversation. But moving the dot to Jefferson gives them a incredible additional flexibility to play not only the dime defense, which they play a lot already, but also the quarter using seven defensive backs on the field. And when you've got a a defense that has struggled as mightily as the Ravens have to stop other teams from passing effectively, and in particular in the middle of the field, this can at least be a tonic for obvious passing downs. Now, the unfortunate situation is it doesn't really fix the situation for first and ten second and five kind of plays where you want a larger defense out there and you don't want to be caught with your with your smaller defense on the field and have the other team run all over you. Yeah, and I wasn't – maybe you were able to chart the plays. I, I didn't take that close of a look at the game yet. But I'd imagine oh, Peanut will be on the field uh, in those clear running situations in first and ten in the early downs. Um, the bigger question to me is if they need to go base defense or, or whatever the case may be, can you trust Kenny Young? Can you trust Chris Board, wh- whoever that guy is? Because um, the Ravens experimented a little bit with using Deshaun Elliott. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he really hadn't played. He'd played three defensive snaps, I believe, in his career. And those were all coming into Sunday, and those were all in the Miami Dolphins blowout. We hadn't seen him much, and they used him almost as a replacement for Kenny Young, even in early downs, which was surprising to see. So I think you're right. There's a lot of issues there that the green dot doesn't fix. Uh, so to me, that's going to be a big question, you know, not only with, with Peanut, but who that weak side linebacker is. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's a totally different separate issue in itself. Elliot, tremendous amount of energy himself. I want to go back to Owasso for a second. Third and two, first and ten. Second and ten, third and three. First and 20, second and 15. Those were the down and distances he right. missed for the six snaps during the game. So I don't see a big pattern there in terms of, of missing particularly passing snaps or whatnot. It's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. The, the the thing with Elliott that was really interesting was the snaps he played. So he's on the field nine times, and most people who listen to the show know I don't count penalty snaps, so he really only had seven. But of the nine times he lined up, the down and distances were first and ten, first and ten, second and ten, second and five, first and ten, first and twenty, first and twenty, second and fifteen, third and three. So these were not pass-only downs that would go to Levine as the dimebacker, these were, uh, you know, a broader selection of potential dime snaps played by an undersized substitute linebacker in Elliott. So they're really going for more playmaking, more ball, ball skills on the field. And Elliott, I thought played very well. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was obviously small sample size, um, but he flies around and, and the speed is noticeable. And I think maybe he's even a little bit more under control than, than a guy like Kenny Young. Um, and you're right. I mean, yeah, I, I just, again, noted it watching it live and, and then tried to go back and watch. It was pretty clear that it wasn't passing downs. It was Deshaun Elliott is going to go in there and help stop the run as a traditional dime linebacker. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious to see. Like I said, we've seen playmaking. He's made some incredible plays in OTAs this year. He's, he's been one of the better training camp and preseason players the last two years. We've been seeing him on the field for more than these seven snaps in a regular season game. So that to me is going to be the test. Once an opponent 
knows who he is. Are, are they going to try and take advantage of him? Um, will the Steelers and, and other teams maybe add some, add, consider him a little bit more as they game plan? Uh, those things are things to keep in mind. But right. I think it was it's, encouraging. Yeah, I, I think it was encouraging as well. I mean, one of the things I saw is a lot more energy from him than other players on the field. Now, it wasn't a particularly long snap game, but the but the Browns did have a long first half in terms of snaps. So at the at the end of the third quarter, this snap count is still fairly heavy. It's towards the end of a drive, and then they had that twenty nine yard play that went to the two yard line. I believe it was it was the Landry got the ball, and there was Odell Beckham on the outside looking for the option toss, yeah. and and that was a play Kennedy correctly, I think, took the outside guy and. Jefferson at a very bad angle on Landry, but the guy who was really impressed on the play was was Elliott coming all the way back across the field to knock him out at the two yard line. Right, and and we've seen obviously too often this season the Ravens have been kind of in that chase down mode when they're giving up a big play, and yeah, I mean not just fresh legs, but a young guy trying to prove himself who's who's maybe flying around. Those things helped in that instance, and and they needed some kind of jolt at that point in the game, and and maybe he gave them at least a, a little bit of that. All right, well, they scored again to cut it to seven, and they, and they had a chance defensively to stop the, stop the um, uh, Browns, but uh, they didn't get it done in the 88-yard touchdown and kind of put the lights out as far as I was concerned in the game early in the fourth quarter. But, the, but uh, Elliott, I, 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 was, I was impressed by what he did. I liked uh, you know, the energy he showed on the field. And we, we haven't yet got the opportunity to see the playmaking, but we see some tipped balls in the middle of the field. Elliott, Elliott is a vulture. Yeah. In those terms, I mean, he picks off cheap interceptions, what he's known for at Texas. And it'd be great if he could come back and deliver some of that in Baltimore. Yeah, and, and he's shown it in, in OTAs and in, in training camp. And he's taken his fair share of first team uh, repetitions in both, again, spring practice, OTAs, mini camp and, and training camp. And yeah, he's he's got some ball skills, maybe a little bit more than a guy like Chuck Clark. And Chuck Clark's been, been solid, um, but maybe he's got a little bit more of a knack for that. I think a lot of fans remember some of the hits that Elliott laid uh, in the 2018 preseason when he was a rookie. So, yeah, I mean, a guy that can offer a little bit of a jolt to this defense after what we've seen in the past two years, that, that would be about very yeah. valuable. They they need playmaking, but I also say what they need, really need at inside linebacker is the ability to play the pass behind them. And right now, those guys, it doesn't matter if it's Board, Young, or Peanut, they're all getting picked on in the area between level two and level three. Thomas likes to play a very deep center field, which they probably will have to change, by the way. But he likes to play a very deep center field, which means there's a lot of space between level two and level three. It's a very vulnerable area. So they can't do it with their linebackers playing the way they are now. Yeah. And, and again, LJ Fort, the guy, the guy that they signed on Monday morning, is kind of known as, as a guy who could be decent in coverage. He, he only really became a, a regular defensive player in Pittsburgh after Ryan Sagier's injury. But, I mean, maybe he's somebody who works in the mix, but it's clear that uh, they've got to do a little bit better job. And, and you know, obviously <laughs> C.J. Mosley got plenty of people criticized him for his coverage skills. But yeah, that was inside, a lot of crap. Right, the inside linebacker. that What you're seeing this year kind of shows uh, that maybe maybe there, there was some harsh criticism on C.J. Mosley and that the team does miss him. Um, Right, I think in, in the case of Mosley, it was a case of he was an, a linebacker and the Ravens, the remainder of the umbrella for the Ravens was so strong and in terms of coverage that he was naturally picked on. And particularly on third down when Levine is on the field also providing another staunch, staunch pass defender. It's just you only had one guy to go after and they, they threw at him more than you would normally throw at a linebacker. And, you know, he was reasonably effective, just not terribly effective. Right, and, and for being a very good run defender and as steady as he was, he was, he was obviously worthwhile, but... Um, you know, he's not coming back. So, so I guess that there's other things to explore, but, um, it, right now the, the inside linebackers, I, I think it's easy to pin the issues on the secondary when you see some of the deep throws and some of the missed tackles, but yeah, that's yeah. something that it's very clear that they're searching for, whether you look at the green dot, the signing LJ Fort, uh, Mixon and Elliott, it's very clear that they're trying to find something right. that works better. That's, that's three solutions there. They're trying to find an inside linebacker, not in the secondary. I think the secondary, they know they got to uh, play who they got. They got to play the cards they're dealt, and and they're pretty good cards, frankly. Now with Kennedy, I, you know, I'm feeling like they've got a they've got a a secondary that's solid all the way across. Now with 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 five guys at least, and not every team has that. Certainly not at this time of the year. They may have an injury, but we'll get back to him in a moment. I, I tell you what, I want to jump back and talk 
a little bit about defensive packages in this game, and then we'll hit the breakdowns. Maybe this is the wrong order, but I'm going to do it this way anyway. Uh, so talking about packages in this game, uh, the Ravens really split it up a lot. Uh, they played a fair amount of base defense for the first time this year. Now, coming into this game, they'd only played seven snaps of base defense the whole year, three, four, with four in the secondary. This game, they played 12 more snaps. They'd only given up one yard in base defense this game, and they gave up 149 yards on 12 plays, 12.4 yards per play against the base defense. That included the 88-yard run by Chubb uh, in, in quarter four as well. They got a lot of opportunity, as I say it with air quotes, to play the base defense as they were trailing and the Browns were trying to close out the game. Yeah, and that sort of thing will happen. And and the Browns do, uh, as much as people want to talk about Mayfield and, and um, Beckham, they do. They want to establish the run with Chubb, and Chubb is tough to stop. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right. I mean, this was the first game when the, when the Ravens really trailed. Uh, I guess they trailed, they trailed in Kansas City, but the way that the Chiefs play offense is a little different. So it, it does kind of track that that they play the base defense more. Um, you, you wish they would have played better. If you're a Ravens fan, you wish they would have played better in it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're down a defensive lineman in this game, and that was a big loss. And it really impacted them, I think, across the line. A lot of the run plays, and this included the play by Chubb, they had good blocking on a defensive lineman from a tight end. And that's something I just hate to see, but but it was happening. And those guys were tired. They were in their extra snaps. You know, Ricard is playing fullback and tight end on offense, and he's also playing 30-plus 30, 30 snaps on defense. And it's a problem. That's that's too much of a workload. You know, uh, the other two defensive line were both up over 40 snaps, and Mac was at eight, as I have it. So, uh, you know, Mac being activated did not take a big share of the snaps, which just really meant that one less guy had to share in the defensive line snaps. Yeah, and, and Patrick Carr, that was a, easily a career high uh, in defensive snaps for him. And Michael Pierce, I think, a very good player, and he's played a lot of snaps in, in past games, but... He 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 showed up at uh, at OTAs or he showed up at minicamp, excuse me, out of shape. He's not necessarily a guy. He's a guy that that fits kind of in a rotation, playing fifty percent of the snaps at most. And yeah, I mean, you go back to this off season um, when maybe the Ravens were considering Gerald McCoy and, and they had him on a free agent visit, and w- you thought Willie Henry maybe would be another option, right? And he didn't have a strong training camp and end up getting cut. And it's just it's frankly surprising uh, that the Ravens would lose one guy. And, and I know Brandon Williams had a pro bowl last year, good player, but it's surprising that they would lose one defensive lineman and just kind of have a showing like that, where you, you just felt like they were kind of getting outmatched uh, at the line of scrimmage. Right. That, that has happened before. And in fact, mm-hmm. during the three game losing streak for the 2000 team, okay. when, when they lost, they, they had problems on the defensive line at that point with Siragusa or Adams being injured mm-hmm. that really, We've, we've we definitely have seen it before in this town in terms of it's a bad play. You have you probably you probably too young to remember that, right? I, I do remember that team. I was yeah, still kind of at the end of elementary school, maybe. So yeah. <laughs> I wasn't wasn't breaking anything down, but do remember that team. Do remember Sarah Goose and Adams. Um, but yeah, no, that that's very interesting. It'll it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But yeah, you don't want Patrick. I I, I think Patrick Card's done a great job to carve out a role. I don't think you want him playing thirty five. Uh, no. Snaps. And if I do, I want him playing those snaps on offense yeah. when he's when he can really do a lot of good. Uh, let's talk about more packages now. The nickel, they played 23 snaps, but they played a mix of oddball nickels here. 11 snaps of the standard nickel, 10 of big nickel where they have a, a uh, safety Clark in covering the slot receiver. We talked about that one before. And then two jumbo nickel snaps. I got a gr- we got a great question in the mailbag about jungo- jumbo nickel that we're not going to have time to get to, Josh. And I kind of already have told the answer but we might want to have a separate podcast on that but he the, the, the guy had a great question he's like wouldn't it be the more rational thing to go to the jumbo nickel the 335 nickel uh because it gives you a spread of five players along the line of scrimmage i want to give that it's due in a different forum but they use it for two snaps it just kind of show them a different look um i i think in this case but uh, it does have significant risk when you only have one linebacker and that one linebacker is not particularly experienced in terms of uh, being able to handle the various gaps along the line of scrimmage. or certainly not as experienced as Mosley was. Yeah, no, it'll kind of be interesting to, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how, when you go into it and, and I'll take a deeper look at that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And, and the linebackers that they would have, if, if it's peanut or, or if it's Kenny young, um, those are guys who are also kind of susceptible to overrunning plays, which right. is pretty clear to see on the 88 yard. 88-yard run by Chubb. So you, 
I think Mosley's discipline and, and just his steadiness kind of gave them a lot of options. Um, and they don't necessarily have that this year. As much as I think Peanut is, is a good player who, who can take on a lot of different responsibilities, he, it's not the same in terms of you know what you're going to get from him. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't want to bash Peanut incessantly, although he's, yeah. he's at the center of some of these problems with the Ravens, obviously being the Mike linebacker and being guys on the field all the time. But it, the truth of the matter was he played 42% of the snaps last year, and his snaps were extremely well-matched for his talents. He's a tremendous contributory pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Did a great job with that. You know, picked up, what, five and a half sacks or whatever it was for himself. The position, the weak side linebacker spot, had nine sacks, you know, good tackle totals, and maybe 10 passes defense. I mean, it was a really outstanding platoon position. And unfortunately they've gotten away from that and that's not coming back, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah. but I miss it. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And he was just kind of the perfect when you got a guy like Mosley, who, who, again, you, you know what you're going to get good run stopper and, and versatile guy with, with peanut, then you could dial up blitzes and you could kind of let him just go make plays. And you saw that he had two forced fumbles late in the season that were huge. Mm-hmm. plays. Um, Kind of a note on Peanut, I did a story on him and talked to a, co- a college coach, and his college coach at Portland State said that um, his junior year, his redshirt junior year at Portland State, they were moving him around. They, they put him at, as a pass rusher. They put him at linebacker. They put him at safety. And he didn't have that good of a year. Uh, the coaching staff, his senior year, said, you know what, we're just going to let you play safety, and, and uh, we're going to play a bunch of cover three and do that sort of thing and just let you go do what you want. We're not going to mix anything. You're going to play safety every snap. And he ended up, I think, coming in second place in the uh, second in the voting for for FCS Defensive Player of the Year. He was that good when they gave him one role to do. When you're asking him to do a lot of stuff, and and that's not a knock on Peanut. That's just he, he's a guy who he's at his best when he's just pinning his ears back and going and making plays, not necessarily taking on a, a whole ton of other responsibilities. I think that's been proven throughout his career. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> this year the the way the defense is set up, he's got to do more than than he ever has. Right, and and I don't want to belabor this point, but this is the second time in his career the green dot's been moved from him. Yeah. So he, he had it for the – Mosley got injured in the Cincinnati game. He had it for the rest of the first half, and that first half did not go well for the Ravens' defense, of course, and they gave it to Weddle for the second half of that game. So, Correct, yeah. I think, I think the Bengals scored four straight touchdowns after Mosley left that game. Yeah. All right, so just continuing on, actually finishing with the packages, they played the dime on 23 snaps, so – Dime 23, nickel 23, base 12. We're already seeing a preponderance of dime in this game, despite you know fairly heavy uh, offensive sets that the Browns often present. Uh, they they used Elliott at weak side linebacker. We mentioned this already as as a dime on the non-traditional snaps. They used Levine, and they had a Levine and Clark and a Clark and Elliott uh, with a four safety dime on two separate occasions. So I just want to go through those real quick. And then I think... Uh, anything to say about the dime? Anything in general about the Ravens dime you want to talk about, Aaron? I, I mean, I think Wink Martindale's kind of what he said in the past is he just wants to get his best players on the field. And, you know, if if the linebackers aren't playing well and Deshaun Elliott is or whatever, you know, who, whoever that is, he's going to tweak it to, to figure out how to get the best players on the field. All right. Fantastic. Now, the, the article I wrote this week about this game is one I often write after a game goes very poorly, is to try and examine the, the worst plays of the game and try and find common threads. And I've asked people to go out and, and look on the website, if you will. Uh, it's got a, my usual notation of quarter and time, along with the, the, the discussion of the play and what happened on it. The disturbing thing about the breakdowns this week was there aren't a lot of common threads. It's a lot of everything. Yeah, John John Harbaugh echoed that same sentiment uh, in his post game or in his Monday press conference today. He uh, he kind of said, "Yeah, it'd be a lot easier if there was one issue, but you know, you had uh, Humphrey jumping up on the one that that uh, Ricky Seals Jones got. Uh, you had missed tackles on on the Jarvis Landry one, um, and missed. Ta- I, I I've never seen the Ravens uh, my year plus covering the team. They've never tackled that bad that I can remember uh, tackled that poorly. So yeah, different different issues um, on almost every play." Yeah, so they, it was a bad day for the pass rush in general. They didn't get the job done. They knocked the, they in fact sacked Mayfield on the third play. They never again knocked him down. The pressure they got was so little, and on the big plays, it was even less in terms of getting a pressure on a screen pass. They got another on a blitz from Clark, but they really never moved Mayfield off the spot. And Mayfield so far this year had been very ineffective, 
largely because they, he's been moved off the spot, forced to throw these fadeaway jumpers, as Collins, Collinsworth called it. And that's been the way to beat him. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly kind of the recipe. And I think the, the Ravens traditionally have tried to take advantage of that when they they've quarterbacks feel like they can pressure. And I think it's the second straight week, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in Kansas City, Judon got his sack on the first drive as well. And, and they certainly pressured Mahomes a little bit more. I think Judon had four quarterback hits. But early in the game, the Ravens have been able to get to quarterbacks. And by the, toward the end of the game, they're not. Uh, maybe that's Pernell McPhee's playing a lot of snaps. Maybe that's Judon's playing a lot of snaps. Maybe it's yeah. can adjust the coverage, but they they got to get a pass rush in the third and fourth quarter. Yeah, that's a good diagnosis on that. I mean, they're winning snap count, and Martindale is the master of manipulating snap count for his individual players. But I think you've got it exactly when you talk about Pernell McPhee playing too many snaps to really be effective as a as a pass rusher, and that that may be true of Judon too. That fifty two snaps is too many for him to still be at his peak effectiveness in the fourth quarter, and that's what he played in Kansas City. I mean, it's. Martindale, if I look at the 2018 database and the 2019 database, it looks very different in terms of how many snaps his, his key pass rushers have been playing at the, in the going into the fourth quarter. And McPhee was a guy this year. I don't know about you, Aaron, but I figured him for about you know 20 snaps a game, maybe 22 snaps a game, kind of being on the outside. That you know, Him playing 400 snaps would seem to be outrageous, and he's on a pace for significantly more than that right now. Yeah, I don't think he played more than 24 snaps in a game last season. 18, I, I, 18 yeah, I'd have to go back and check that. It looks like you got it. Uh, yeah, no, he. Um, last season, obviously not a sack. That was kind of a bigger storyline. But, uh, yeah, he, he was a rotational guy at best. Um, I think probably a lot of people around him weren't sure he was going to get another shot to even play this year. So the fact that he's playing as much as he is. And you mentioned last year, the difference last year was they had almost like a big three in terms of the outside linebackers and, and Judon. Smith mm-hmm. and Suggs, and this year it's very clear that they just don't trust a third. Bowser had that had that early sack and then didn't play too well. Uh, Williams, I don't even know if he's a quarterback hit. Tim Williams, I don't know if he's a quarterback hit this no. year. He's he's beaten his guy a few times and, and just hasn't gotten home. So, yeah, they, they need at least one other guy to be able to mix in there, and they do not have it. Okay, so Williams had, uh, sorry, Williams had five uh, pressures against Miami, but mm-hmm. looking at McPhee, I've got him for 154 snaps. Now, my, my snaps don't include penalties, so yeah. it's going to be lower than other totals, but that's a 616-snap yeah. place for the year. There's no way he can do that. that he won't finish the season. Yeah, that's uh, that's ridiculous. And and I'm sure the Ravens coaches are talking about the same thing. They know that. That's that's not a gray area there. That's something that can't happen. Right. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't just the pass rush. That was bad. A lot of busted coverages. I don't think we need to – you know, belabor that anymore. We've talked about a couple, and Ricky Seals-Jones was a really bad one. Inside linebackers getting beaten, targeted in coverage, and that space between level two and level three is just the jackpot zone right now for for opposing quarterbacks. And the league knows it. They are scheming to it, and they are finding that spot with regularity in terms of, of uh, getting running room and getting catching room in that area. Angles to the play were exceptionally bad. I'm sorry, do you have something to say about that? It sounded like you might have. No, no, you're good. I, I was just going to mention that, yeah, that that's kind of what we're talking about, that they're trying so many different things to figure out how to defend that that area of the field. Yeah, but you, you, it's very good that you brought up the point that they've really tried three solutions no. in a matter of, what, three days, I guess, right. to, to try and fix this. The angles to the play, terrible. Terrible yeah. in this game. I mean – some of it is is a is a recognition issue, and I thought particularly Jefferson's angle on Landry on the twenty nine yard run that ended up at the two yard line, or twenty might have been twenty nine yard pass that ended up at the two yard line. But the one Elliott had to make the saving tackle on, he didn't recognize the fact that Kennedy was going to have to respect the outside fake, so he took a different angle that was not safe. And safety's got to know how to do that. So that was that was a bad one. The tackling has been bad. And there's been missed tackles from a variety of people. And again, I, you know, I hate to say it, but Owasso started the season with three tackles in week one, and it really hasn't—he hasn't been a lot better since in terms of his ability to have tackles. And Jefferson, of course, had the big one in this game, throwing a huge shoulder into Landry and not getting him down. Yeah, and um, to go back to that to that 29 yarder for Landry, that was a really interesting play design by the Browns. Um, you know, I mean. They, at least when I was with the press box, I kind of tipped my hat to them there. But yeah, mm-hmm. it seemed like Kennedy did the right thing and took the outside guy. Um, but yeah, the Landry's big catch, the 65 yarder, what was it? I think Owasu and 
Owasu was right there and, and Jefferson threw the shoulder and it was, it's just, man, you get, you gotta get a guy down in that situation. And um, man, yeah. Tackling is tackling is kind of um, a very fundamental skill that the Ravens have been pretty good at since I started covering the team and they were very bad at it on, uh, on Sunday. Right. Right. Well, when you depend more on your linebackers and safeties to make tackles, you will have more missed tackles. Yeah. Your defensive linemen, they rarely miss tackles, but, but uh, linebackers and safeties, safeties in particular, are the group that really misses a fair amount of tackles. All right. Um, another thing I really didn't like was screen pass diagnosis. Now, obviously, that was a problem on two big plays in Kansas City. Uh, it was a problem here as well. And the team just lacks players who were savvy enough to, to sniff that out. Suggs was the master at it, but they had other guys like Mosley who would have figured it out in a heartbeat too. Yeah, yeah. And just in that heart of the defense, I think Mosley was so valuable at, at being able to figure out those things. Um, yeah, and, and Kansas City, Andy Reid, Andy Reid's kind of, that's his thing, right? And, and especially with McCoy and, and the, the weapons they have, it, you almost excuse, you excuse it, but it wasn't super surprising. You'd hope you'd hope the next week they'd be able to cover that up and um, there was a question after the Chiefs game and and they weren't uh, and if I'm an opposing team I'm definitely making sure I have a few uh, if I draw up a few screenplays to to have in my back pocket against the Ravens because they haven't shown that they can stop it. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And and you know there's going to come times in the in the game where you know the Ravens are going to gamble and you want to have to you want to be able to check that if you think you're detecting it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, I thought the Browns' big run plays were well blocked as a group, and the 88-yard play—it was a well blocked play. So I don't want to—I don't want to, you know, take everything away. I mean, Bowser overran the play, and he didn't play another snap the rest of the game. By the way, after that, uh, but but there were other problems on that play. The the other issue, there's two other issues with the run plays. One is they had too much success with the tight ends blocking to seal either the outside linebacker or defensive lineman to read uh, to lead run plays. You just can't have that happen with great regularity. Your outside linebackers and your defensive linemen in particular need to be able to move those tight ends so that they close gaps. And that it, it was a problem in this game. And part of it was these defensive linemen had played a lot of snaps. Uh, the other issue that I saw coming up regularly was that the left tackle, Greg Robinson, somehow found his inner Ronnie Stanley and was able to make backside run contributions in level two. And to me, that's something... Uh, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have expected from a player like him, but much more mobile than I recall him being. Yeah, that's something. And, and again, I'll take a close look at it and, and I'll read your analysis. Uh, but yeah, that, that was something that was noticeable, I thought, live and that he was getting out to the second level. And, and that's get something that, that the Ravens just had no answer for. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about in this game? Let's move on to... Um, snap count battle. I mean, this is something that I, I looked at at the beginning of the game as being something the Ravens would need to win. They won at 67-61, not in very pretty fashion because they got dominated for the first half in snap count, which is usually going to create some additional tired players. Uh, I always say it's not always the total number of snaps. It's the number of consecutive snaps most of the time. One of the things about Cleveland's drives early in the game is they put together a couple really long ones and one additional long one in the third quarter. So they kind of had their chances individually at some long drives. They also had a, a three-yard drive for a touchdown, a two-yard drive for a touchdown, a two-play drive, I should say. But but the long drives really took it out of the Ravens, particularly in that first quarter. Yeah, and the Browns came in, I think, 29th in the NFL in, in third down uh, conversion rate. And for whatever reason, you know, they had a, they had a pretty strong, I think, five, five of their first 10 they converted on Sunday. I don't know what they finished with, but. That that's a that's an area where the Ravens were really good last year, and all the issues we've talked about contribute to why they weren't good there on Sunday. Yep. All right. Want to go through some individual performances here? Who do you who would you like to talk about, Aaron? Um, a lot a lot of guys. We could go with Maurice Kennedy, maybe just to uh, just to give a little bit of a positive spin on it. I thought he um, the interception obviously is a is a big play. I thought the the pass breakup in the end zone um, was almost as important if if not more important um for the flow of the game and he just he seems like on a defense where there's a lot of guys who um maybe are playing a little hesitant he's he seems like he was up for the challenge and he's back-to-back games essentially replaced Averett uh down the stretch and and you wonder 
you wonder long term what that means and you wonder short term because Jimmy Smith, I, I would be surprised if he's back on the field this week. You wonder how much Kennedy might play in these really important games against the, the Steelers and the Bengals. Right. And I, I, I would expect that Kennedy would be the starter as the third corner with, you know, obviously Carr will bop into the nickel, but it'd be Kennedy on the outside as the third corner would be where they'd go from here on. I, I, I don't think you'd do that. You make that exchange more than twice with Averett. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big Averett fan. I was somebody who really wanted a, the Ravens to figure out in year two what they had with Averett. But I think he just needs a little bit of time on the bench, frankly, to figure it out. Maybe in practice, wherever, to figure it out before his next trial comes up. And, and I just, Kennedy has done more to earn it at this point, even though the Ravens own no part of his future after this year, uh, which is dis- disappointing. You know, you'd prefer that Averett was the player who really emerged from this out of this pair. But right now, Kennedy's playing better. And frankly, Kennedy did the job for them in 2017 down the stretch. And so I've been a little surprised at how little he's gotten in terms of opportunity since then. Yeah. And I mean, clearly he was, he was cut and they, uh, they, you know, gave, gave other teams a chance to sign him. So, you know, I I was surprised by that too. I wasn't necessarily surprised uh, when it happened because the signs were pointing that direction, but going into training camp, I thought, man, Maurice Kennedy is a guy that you want, particularly when you consider Jimmy Smith's um, injury history uh, Tavon Young's injury history, both of those two things have, have obviously uh, sh- shown up early this year. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that Maurice Kennedy is going get to a, get a huge deal on the free agent market, but he's a guy who you might want to bring back on a one-year deal or, or some team out there is going to give him a chance because he, he not only can cover guys, he can play a few different spots. That's valuable when you're trying to mix and match secondaries and, and for a team that's having a lot of breakdowns, I, I can't really remember him having uh, a play that was just a total blunder. And, and even, even Marlon Humphrey, who's, who's been playing so well, he's had so. several of those. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he, everything he's doing, I think is valuable. Averett, Averett's really fast, talented guy. I think he might figure it out at some point, but uh, I mean, the Ravens are two and two. Um, going into two division games, they don't they don't have the luxury to think about the future. They need to win these two games. So I, yeah, I'm with you. I think Kennedy will, will play a bunch. Okay. All right. Um, I guess we can talk about Jalen Ferguson. Uh, that'd be a guy I would pick if you want to want to start there. Uh, yeah. Tough couple of games in terms of the big plays seem to be finding him when he was on the field. Now let me give you a little bit of data here. So he had nine snaps against the Chiefs, Chiefs piled up 163 yards on him, including the 83-yard play. Just happened to be while he was on the field. Of course, he didn't rush the passer effectively on that play, but that's that's maybe part of it. Ferguson, in, in this week, was on the field for 16 plays, and the Browns gained 235 yards, 14.7 yards per play while he was on the field. Now, the Browns were devastating in terms of their real plays. They gained almost nine yards of play in this game against the Ravens, but 14.7. Considerably worse than that. Yeah, I mean, those are some eye-catching numbers. Um, yes. And I know, I mean, I know the 83-yarder in Kansas City, all that will bloat those numbers a little bit and, and skew them. But that's still still something that catches your attention. And um, I remember in Kansas City, it was, it was pretty clear that Ferguson was struggling to set the edge. I didn't notice him set the edge much better um, against Cleveland. And again, I mean, the pass rush just in general was was not getting home. Um, but it tells you something that he ended up playing more than Williams and Bowser without making much of a dent. Williams looks like he got stonewalled early pretty much every every time he was in. On Sunday, Bowser, like you mentioned, uh, kind of overran that 88-yard 80, run and, and didn't come back in the game. So <laughs> I don't think Ferguson played all that well. I don't think there's any better options uh, for that number three um, edge rusher guy. That, that right, so – Tim Williams had six snaps in the game yeah. and left, and the Browns were still throwing the ball. I have to believe that that was punitive, mm-hmm. that, that Harbaugh saw something he really didn't like out of Williams and said, okay, you're not going back in the game. And I, it could be Martindale as well, but it seems like Harbaugh is the mo- li- most likely to invoke a, a, a punitive penalty like that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I would say. And, and Tim Williams, um, obviously, he's got all the talent in the world. He's, he's a guy who I think can get under coach's skin uh, by maybe not giving effort or, or not feeling responsibility. And, and Bowser, it's different guys for different reasons, but I think similar in that 
they can irk coaches um, and, and clearly um, clearly they both irked coaches on, on Sunday. Okay, so I'm looking at the last snaps Williams played because in Bowser's case, that really kind of gives us a yeah. gives us a indication. But the last three snaps Williams played were all in the in the second quarter on the drive that was set up by the 65-yard play, which he was in for. So he played the first four plays of that drive. So it was incomplete pass, 65-yard pass, a penalty. I'm not sure who, which team that was on. I have to look back. And then another another incomplete pass. So it almost has to be something that either occurred on the 65-yard play or something he didn't do to wrap up or yeah. create some pressure or whatever. I really got to go back and look at those plays to figure out what it might have been. And it could be maybe he didn't do anything that was terribly wrong, but Harbaugh didn't like his answer when he came back to the bench yeah. about what happened on the 65-yard play. Yeah, no, that that certainly could be it. And and for a guy who's supposed to be a pass rush specialist, splash play kind of guy, if if he didn't, you know, come off the edge, if he didn't look explosive or something, that you know that could play into it. Um, yeah, certainly an answer that he gave a coach on the sideline could play into it. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to go back and watch those plays and, and see if there's something there. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we talked about Elliot a little bit earlier, so why don't we not redo that? But uh, but I think we're both excited to see more of him. Anybody else you want to hit on that would be on your list that we haven't got to yet? I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, certainly Earl Thomas, I, I guess, is a guy that I'm sure everyone's covered in depth. But it, it's worth just considering. Um, he's the guy you, you give the benefit of the doubt to. I know he led the team in tackles in some senses because he's made six Pro Bowls and he's been a generational player. But man, there's it just seems like he should be affecting the game more than he is. It was a very bad look on the 88-yard play. Now, he did on the 65. It was the 65-yard play. Mm-hmm. It was the blown play to Ricky Seals-Jones. That might have not been quite 65 yards. Okay. It might have been 38 or something. But he went across the field to make that tackle. So you know, it, it's, it's not that he didn't do it on every play. One of the things you notice on the Seals-Jones play, and he was not a particularly fast guy. I assume he's a tight, big tight end anyway. Yeah. You wouldn't expect him to be. But Thomas had a hard time catching him. And when I saw Chubb and Thomas, and Thomas is like a yard or two ahead, but he's you know he's got a diagonal move to get to him on the sideline, I I I knew Chubb was gone, and Thomas obviously knew at that point too, and he's already talking about not pulling a hamstring. One of the things that's bad about it is it's now out there on some next gen esque, it might actually be next gen uh, dot diagram of that play <laughs> where you can really see. <laughs> Right. that 29 is not moving very fast. Yeah, you see the dot and you see 29 facing <laughs> and then it just stops and a bunch of dots on both teams run past 29. Yes. That's not and, – and, you know, uh, again, he's the, he's one of the few guys who you might give a benefit of the doubt to, but if if Chuck Clark gives that answer, I don't know if Chuck Clark is on the team on Monday. Um, uh, or at least he might be on the bench or right. be inactive for two weeks. Exactly. I, I, you know, with, with, with Thomas, it's true. There is no other option. It's not that he gets the benefit of the doubt. I think they mm-hmm. doubt him tremendously. Yeah. But, but I think that right, as of right now, there is no other option. The team has invested tremendously in this player, and they really need to move forward and, and hope for the best. So uh, anyway, they'll, uh, they'll work with it. Hopefully, Thomas, I'd like to see Thomas take a a more significant leadership role, but everything I hear is that's not who he is. Yeah. I mean, I think he can be a fiery guy. The, there's reports that him and Brandon Williams um, got into a little bit of a spat about Williams not being able to play. Um, and, and yeah, I do think Thomas can get fiery, but I don't think he's the kind of guy to take people under your wing. Tony Jefferson is much more that, that guy. And I mean, I think that's an issue that it's, it's always hard to tell. And I think sometimes we can overstate, leadership and camaraderie and all that stuff uh really what matters is the skill and the, and the schemes but in this case i mean last year you had weddle you had Suggs, you had mosley who's the guy who's gonna make sure this team this this defense stays together who's the guy who's gonna make sure that the tone is right and that's really important coming off the loss I, I don't know maybe it's jefferson in the locker room on sunday jefferson owasu and uh and matt judon kind of huddled for like five ten minutes while reporters were in there, while other guys were changing and doing interviews, and they talked, and it was very, very clearly a serious talk. Maybe those are the three guys, but somebody, somebody has to step up and and kind of yank this thing in the right direction. You no, know, those are the the four guys, including Levine, who were on the the make up the council. Yeah. Somebody out of that group ought to be deciding who to go to to yeah. get that leadership. So maybe it's Brandon Williams. I don't care if it's Chris Wormley. I don't, I don't care who it is, but but they've got to figure out who the guy is. And the other thing this reminded me of just is having this happen 
is the Joe Flacco and Ray Rice little sports friends video. Have you seen that? No. Okay. Look it up. It's the funniest thing you've ever seen. It's Ray Rice going to Joe Flacco. And it's obviously characters playing each of these, but, uh, and basically saying, Hey Joe, we need a team leader with Ray down. How about you do it? And the guy who plays Flacco is absolutely hilarious. And it's well worth the listen. Listeners out there. If you haven't seen it, find it. Sports friends, Flacco Rice will get you there. And uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Anyway, Josh, how are we doing in the mailbag? All right. A whole lot of stuff in the mailbag because that's what happens when uh, the team loses. Everyone wants you to fix the team. So uh, let's. I'm going to try to pick and choose a lot of Earl Thomas questions. A lot of. So let's go with. Um, let's go with an easy one. Let's go with Edgar's question. Who's the one player you would want back from last year's team? Mosley, Suggs, Weddle, someone else? Okay, I, I'll go first. As of right now, there's no doubt about it. I'd want Mosley back given the team's current weaknesses. Yeah, I, I was going to say Mosley as well. I, I would, with the caveat, say that uh, if Earl Thomas keeps playing the way he has been, it would be nice to have Eric Weddle, which I, I didn't expect to be saying uh, a couple months ago. All right. All right, now let's get into the guys on the field. And uh, let's start with this one. Many people have, have asked the same question, but I'm going to go with Phillip's question, who was responding to Harbaugh's comment about Earl Thomas still learning the Ravens system. And do you think the Ravens are doing a bad thing in making him adjust to their system rather than tailoring the defense around what he is best at? That's a good question. Um my friend Jonah Schaefer, who works for the Baltimore Sun, who I met, I think has been on uh, been on with you guys before. He pointed out today, and then and then asked Harbaugh as well that uh, later on in in Thomas's tenure with the Seahawks, he was doing a lot more. It's not like they were just playing that cover three. Um, and and Harbaugh said, yeah, it's pretty much the same stuff. We're not asking him to do anything totally out of the ordinary. Um, sure, it's different. Every defense is different, and that that could just be coach speak. But I'm inclined to at least believe that it's not like Earl Thomas is playing a new sport out there. Uh, I think, <laughs> yes, I'm inclined to believe that. Yeah, too. <laughs> he's got to, he's got to figure this out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's not Eric Weddle in terms of understanding the defense, but this guy's a hall of fame caliber player. I think he should be able to run whatever defense and the Ravens will need to tailor it to him or whatever, but he should be able to fit what they're doing. I don't think the Ravens need to do too much to, to change what they're doing just to make him happy or anything along those lines. Yeah, I, I, It wouldn't be to make him happy because the yeah. thing I would suggest would not make him happy. <laughs> and that is that he probably needs to not play as mm-hmm. high a center field because of the inside linebacker weaknesses they've had. And I don't think they can rely on Jefferson to just back that up or, or really Jefferson is the only other player who could uh, to, to, to fill that gap and to, and to be there to, to do it. Jefferson is not a ball skills guy and he's not a back end guy. So it's, I just, I want to see Thomas being more responsible for what's going on immediately behind the the linebackers, whether that means getting there quicker to make a big tackle or being in better position to create interceptions on some overthrows that might happen there. But uh, something's got to happen. All right. Um, Yeah, clearly, if if we're being told he's a future Hall of Famer, you got to learn to play in different systems. Um, Raymond jumps on with the whole, it's not just Earl Thomas's fault and is wondering, is Wink's defense just too complicated for this group? Because it seems like it's crumbling in several pieces, not just with one guy. And at this point, four games in, can you even change the system? Complex question. I'll, I'll, I'll start. There's a lot of younger players on this defense and in addition to the older ones. And it, it is difficult, obviously, for, for younger players necessary to assimilate a, difficult, a different scheme. Man coverages are simple, simpler generally than zone coverages. That should be fairly obvious to anybody who's listening. If, if they went to more of that, it would be okay. But you also can't just advertise the fact that you're playing man coverage all the time or the other team will come up with the scheme that fits that. Harbaugh doesn't even like trail a cornerback on a particular receiver because he thinks it flags man coverage. I don't think it's that's necessarily true. I think you can play, you know, the a cover three from switch from one side to the other, even if you trail the cornerback. But I do think you can't afford to give away man coverage on a pre-snap basis on a on a regular uh, all the time, even if it's your better mode of playing defense. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with all that. I, I think it, is the defense too complex? 
that's kind of a tricky question because you need to have some complexity. You need, you need, and Don Martindale had success with it last year. Um, remember last year's team returned pretty much every starter from the year before came back. Uh, it was almost all the same players. So you can talk about losing Mosley and, and Weddle and Suggs and, and Zadari Smith, but last year was unique in that they were they had such great continuity on that defense. I think that's part of the reason that, that it worked so well. Um, I don't think they should try and simplify the defense too much. And even in these zone schemes, it's pretty clear to see when the mistakes happen. That Ricky Seals-Jones, I think it was the 59-yarder, that was just Humphrey coming up and, and I guess taking a gamble and, and uh, basically overplaying his own coverage, I think, is, is what Harbaugh used. But to me, it was just not being in the right spot. It's not like that's too complex. That's just a mistake by the player, maybe arguably their best player. So, yeah, I don't think it's about the complexity of the defense. I think it's, it's about the execution. That might be buying into the coaches a little bit too much. But to me, that's that's the bigger issue. All right. Um, the, Brad get, jumps in. Again, we're going to push this same point throughout where uh, Brad's point is the linebackers are fast athletic guys. Peanut was even a safety in college. So it's not an athletic or physical issue. It's a mental issue. So what would you guys do to change it to help mentally them, them fix these communication issues? These, the three inside linebackers are all fast downhill players. They're very similar in, in each of those respects. Young or Nawasu probably have some decent coverage ability in front of them. I, I was on Owasso early in his career about his ability to recognize where a pass was going before it was thrown, but I don't think that's the real problem anymore. The problem with all of them is how do they impact a pass behind them? How do they recognize what route tree might be going on behind them from what they see in terms of cues at the snap. And they're just, they're not doing it. Yeah. And, and that's not necessarily simplifying the scheme for them. That's, that's, they need to have better instincts and, and better recognition. Um, I, I guess Mosley and, and, and Weddle kind of cleaned up some of those issues. And, um, you know, last year, even the game Mosley missed, I mean, they, they re-signed Albert McClellan and played him a ton, I think partly mm-hmm. because they didn't trust um, Young and, and Oasu to, to play that often and, and be in those situations. And, and McClellan was a guy you could play on early downs, but also you knew he wasn't going to get fooled. And it seems like these guys are, um, you know, they're struggling to diagnose plays and, and figure things out. All right. Here's a question I can answer. Tony is wondering uh, about the psychology of Raven fans. Is there a difference in website traffic and podcast <laughs> listens when the Ravens lose compared to when they win? Yes. Take it away, Josh. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to a team that loses. Having a quarterback controversy, that's fun. That pushes numbers up with page views. Uh, ugly losses like Sunday hurts it. I can, As someone who does a Baltimore Orioles podcast, <laughs> I can tell you the numbers go down for each loss in a row. Isn't so, it fair also to say that we get still many more questions in the mailbag on a week after a loss as opposed to a week after a win? Yes, and then listenings aren't affected after two losses. Mm-hmm. Let's see if, the, if it continues on this downward trajectory, then uh, the questions will stop, the listens will stop. So, yes, it definitely goes. I'm sure it's this way with all uh, the sites that cover the Ravens. So what People, can our loyal listeners do to help us improve listens? <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Tell people. Tell people about, uh, tell people about filmstudyatbaltimore.com as we've got a new domain name as of tonight to kind of just make not upset anyone by using the mascot name. So filmstudybaltimore.com. Tell people about that. Spread the word about that. All right. Now, I'm not going to let you guys get done with the mailbag that easy. There's still tough questions in here that you got to fix. You got to fix this losing team. So is it one guy? Can they bring? Should the Ravens try to bring back Willie Henry and then trade for Jalen Ramsey, and that'll fix all our problems? <laughs> you, you go ahead first, Eric. Uh, uh, Sean is asking this question. So, I mean, if if Willie Henry was a very good interior pass rusher, then sure, you bring him back, and and that solves your problem. But if he was a very good interior pass rusher, they wouldn't cut him in the first place. Some of the other teams that worked him out would have signed him. He lost a lot of weight over really both of the summers that I was covering the team, he lost weight and and I don't think he was strong enough to be effective. Uh, and that's, that's why his snap count dwindled. That's why the team started running him late in preseason games. And that's why he, he didn't make the team. So I don't think he's going to help. 
Right. I, I would agree. I don't think I think the, the time has passed for Willie Henry. In terms of trades in general, I'm going to say the following. Jalen Ramsey will cost a king's ransom to bring here. This team has way too many holes to believe that Jalen Ramsey is going to fix it alone. That draft capital is precious, and it is especially precious in the hands of Eric DaCosta, who I really believe in to make the right picks. So I, I would definitely hold on to that draft capital and not trade for a player like Ramsey right now. Ramsey is, at this point, a 28-game rental. You know, for 12 games this year, you get him for 16 games next year. After that, you've got to pay market value for his services. So even if you can sign him, you got to pay the market rate for him. And believe me, in two years, there'll be another guy, Ramsey's age at that point, who will be available, who may be a better cornerback and maybe the guy you'd feel more comfortable about signing long-term. If I can add to that point, the way the Ravens approached this offseason was to give themselves flexibility in the future, um, particularly cap flexibility. Joe Flacco will soon be off. You still got uh, two more years of Lamar Jackson's base rookie contract. You pick up his fifth year option. So you assume you got three years of a, of a rookie quarterback, of a quarterback on a rookie contract. Um, and the way they've, they've, they can get a lot of guys off the books for the first time in a long time, they can have a lot of money to spend. Uh, they've got a full stable of draft picks. The comp picks are coming in. They've made some trades. That flexibility almost goes out the window, both in terms of if you're trying to re- – I don't think you make that trade if you if you don't have a plan to re-sign Ramsey. So is Jalen Ramsey really worth the entire plan to create that flexibility and, and be able to make the moves you want to make? I, I don't think he's worth all that plus the draft picks. Um, he's a great player, but, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I don't think that he's worth uh, what they would need to give up. Yeah, I, a great player. I agree. And but if it's eighteen million dollars a year, let's say to sign Ramsey for the extended four years, you end up saying seventy-two million. Some of that's in a signing bonus. The rest is is flattened out. I don't care how you divide that money. That eighteen million per year is an enormous gamble on a on any player, but it's probably a slightly bigger gamble on Ramsey. And this hasn't figured into my analysis at any point yet. But I just don't trust Ramsey with four extra years on a contract and have six, and then him talking about being you know, in chains or, you know, enslaved by the system or this and that. I mean, the fact of the matter is Jalen Ramsey came into this league as a first round draft pick. The collective bargaining agreement, which has made the players incredibly wealthy and earned them a tremendous share of league revenue is part of what he is participating in. It's going to make him $17 million over the remainder of these next two years. And he's going to be free to sign for whatever the hell he wants. I just I don't understand how anybody would really be sympathetic for that, even if Ramsey is not playing in a system which which accentuates his skills. I think other teams are going to be smart enough to pick up and say, oh, well, that was the system. We can make Ramsey into an even better player and should pay him more money. And there's going to be multiple teams who will be that smart. So I don't trust him in, in terms of, of you know his approach to the to the game this way. I think that's fair. And, and the way I see it, you know, he's, he's free to demand a trade. He's free to complain. But. Yeah, I mean, you're right, the, the CBA and, and the new CBA could change kind of the, the roster building dynamic in some senses. We'll see that, that that'll be kind of an interesting thing to follow. Presumably this offseason um, will be when, when those talks heat up and when general managers have to start figuring out um, how, where the salary cap is going to go and all that sort of thing. Um, but you, you, you can bet, though, that the existing players who are part of voting on the new CBA will not vote for more of the money to go to rookies. It's just the way it goes. So they're get, they're get, Ramsey, now a veteran, is not going to want to change the rules and make it more fair to rookies now that he's you know, been burned by the deal, so to speak. Correct. But, uh, From Ramsey's standpoint, you know, he's, he's going to get paid and, and the CBA will, will probably benefit him for a variety, variety of reasons. So. Um, he's going to be in a good spot to make money. Is he going to be a good spot to help the Ravens or some other team? That's a big question mark. And, and again, I think your long-term roster building, uh, it, it would be unwise to dump that much into a player, almost any player, but especially a player like, like Jalen Ramsey. All right. Final question to close out the mailbag. Let's back up a little bit before we started talking about uh, Ramsey and his 17 million over the next two years. Let's talk about Eric DaCosta and this future. And Devon's wondering uh, with Eric DaCosta, not bearing the youngsters on the depth chart. Now we're witnessing growing pains on game day. Is this worth it in terms of cap and development for this team? So the question is, is the Ravens over accentuation of youth, something that 
we should consider as being not worth it? Is that really the way you read that question, Josh? Yeah, and does it or it or is it worth it to have the struggles this year with young guys for the future? Okay, I think I think it's maybe two sides of the ball. You start with the offense. The offense has the best cap to performance ratio in the entire league by far. It's, it's not even close. In fact, there's a diagram that came over from out of the cap uh, over the cap dot com today, and the Ravens are in the far upper left corner of the diagram, which puts them the most above where their expected points per game should be based on their cap expenditure on offense. And you look at it, they've got no expensive uh, contracts on offense. Lamar Jackson is is playing fine, certainly, and, and even more certainly for what he's making. Um, Andrews is is a cheap young player, so are all the tight ends, no big wide receiver contacts. The only big contract you have on the whole offense is Ronnie Stanley. Sorry, not Ronnie Stanley, is Yanda. Uh, Stanley's on a on a first round pick deal, so he's just making some money, but he's not making that much. James Hurst makes up ten percent of the offensive cap. I mean, this this is not a, a team that you're overspending on the offense. So on the offense, this growing pains. I don't see the problem. I, I personally don't. Aaron, do you feel any differently about that, or do? You- no, I mean, I, I I guess if the question is should they play more young players, I guess that's a possibility. But yeah, no, on, on offense, I'll have to take a look at over the cap. Um, graphic or, or that story but yeah no that that makes a lot of sense and that they they are outperforming the cap numbers and you look at it and they've got all guys who are very young so it's not just that they're they're performing well with a bunch of guys who are in the last years of their rookie deal mark andrews marquise brown uh, orlando brown um, and lamar jackson th- those might be for their best players right and, and all those guys are in their first or second year um Matt Skura's former undrafted free agent. Eventually, they'll have to pay, pay or let Ronnie, Ronnie Stanley walk. So that's going to be a decision that they'll have to make. Um, but yeah, I mean, on offense, you got this young talent. Let it go. Um, if the question is asking on defense, should they try to mix in some more young players? You know, should Jalen Ferguson be be playing more even if he's struggling? Is if that is if that's the question? Um, Maybe that's a little bit more interesting to explore. Should Deshaun Elliott, like we've mentioned, be playing a little more? Should Anthony Avery be playing a little more? That's possible. But, I mean, the Ravens want to win this year, and, and the division is winnable. So it's not like they're going to – it's not like they're not going to play the best players. They're going to play the best players, and, and right now that still means a lot of veteran guys. But the youth movement on offense is very encouraging. And on defense, you got some pieces there. Um, and I think they'll use the cap flexibility and those draft picks to maybe really address some of the issues we've been talking about next off season. But I mean, they're four games into a season again with a very winnable division. They're going to focus on this year. They're going to play the best guys probably regardless of age. Yeah, I, I agree. And and if you look at really where the problems are on the defense, a lot of it's the veteran players. Mm-hmm. It's not really the, the uh, rookies or the younger guys. There's a couple third year guys who you know are frustrating Harbaugh, obviously in terms of, of where they're playing in the game at outside linebacker. You know, you have the inside linebacker situation, which admittedly is some younger players, but Owasa's in the last year of his rookie deal. And, you know, that's something that's we just got to be at a different point. Uh, obviously, the, the play of Earl Thomas and, and Tony Jefferson has been one of the big disappointments on defense, and that's two of your highest paid players. So I really don't know how, you know, you could, we can really point to the youth being really the problem in terms of the underperformance on defense. All right. All right, Aaron, well, Thank you for uh, joining us on Twitter. We want everyone to go out and follow you at Aaron Kaz Reports. And uh, is there anything over at Penn Live that you're working on right now, Aaron, that people should go check out? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're working on stuff. I have a story on the defensive leadership coming out tomorrow morning. Um, this time of year, it's a, it's a lot of grinding. We'll have some kind of fun, quirky stories this week, too. Plenty of Pittsburgh Steelers content. We also have a Steelers writer in Pittsburgh. So uh, PennLive.com will have plenty, plenty of coverage for you guys. Uh, this week leading up to the to the game. All right. Awesome. And Ken, what's up over at Film Study? I know there's new graphics. I know your writing's up there. Yeah, so the new graphics are cool. Go to the gallery on the site. Take a look, and we've got some, some cool new ways to look at an individual game uh, in terms of Lamar Jackson's performance. Stuff you'll you'll be interested to see. Offensive line scoring is now out there in graphical form. Still working on some working out some bugs in that. Uh, this week we'll have the the defensive podcast. We'll record tomorrow night. So if you want to get in your questions for that, sorry, the offensive podcast, offensive line scoring will be out by tomorrow afternoon. And then we have a, a Pittsburgh Steelers guest, Alex Kozora, who will be with us to do the Know Your Foe episode. You might know Alex, Aaron. Yeah, not not personally, but follow the work. Okay. 
And uh, he'll be doing Know Your Foe anyway coming up for the, for the Steelers game this week. Look forward to that one. He's very knowledgeable. Yeah, he's from Steelers Depot. All right, Ken. And what is the uh, domain name of that address? What's the web address of your site? Filmstudybaltimore.com. There you go. You got it. Brand new. Just went activated today with the new name. I, I had so. to figure out if it was a hashtag question. You were trying to snag me on there. but <laughs> No, I'm leaving you alone with the hashtags pound signs. <laughs> At least you're not calling it a pound sign anymore. Well, I haven't lately. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for breaking down this, this tough game. And uh, we'll be back with Glenn tomorrow. Nice and simple this time. <clears throat> In a world of Veltima fungicide, five feet reign supreme. Hey, remember, less dramatic? Five feet. Just five feet. Five feet. Nope. Sixty inches. Look, man, just say Veltima fungicide lets you treat corn as early as five feet. Nice. Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming sooner to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big this summer with great deals, all in the Kroger app. Get red, green, or black juicy seedless grapes for $1.88 per pound with your card and a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free delicious 12-packs of Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.